All right, morning, everybody. Uh, my name is David Soren. I'm the lead pastor here at Renovation Church. Uh, quick announcement. I know we're starting to get super, super packed in here again already, um, but I have some good news. If you look behind you, uh, you see those two sections. Uh, we're going to add 220 more chairs uh, between those two sections, and they're finally coming tomorrow. Uh, so that's, I mean, anything can happen in construction, but hypothetically, they're to arrive to tomorrow. Now, listen, I, you ever tried to like jump into something in life and fix it, but then you actually make it worse because you jumped in? Uh, I, I know that I have done that uh, way too many times. In fact, I remember when I was uh, about 18 years old, I was riding back with a family friend from southern Minnesota to my home uh, in beautiful Cambridge, Minnesota, and we, we got about, I don't know, maybe 10 or 12 minutes south of St. Paul, and I could tell that our family friend that was driving was kind of confused, and they weren't really sure where to turn next. Now, this was in the days before everybody just had a GPS you know, app on their phone. We actually used to print maps. That was <laughs> incredible, right? And so my family friends had made a tragic mistake, and they had forgotten to visit uh, mapquest.com uh, <laughs> before, <laughs> before our journey, which I actually went to that URL uh, this week. It still exists, and it looks uh, exactly the same. Okay. Um, <laughs> But we're driving, and they, I can tell that they're lost. So I pipe up in my very overconfident 18-year-old voice, and I say, listen, I'm pretty sure I know the way. So why don't you just turn right here on Concord Street? I know that we're going to make it. And we spent the f- next 45 minutes completely lost. And to this day, literally just happened to me not that long ago, whenever I drive by that exit, I just think, oh, David, what are you, what are you, what are you, what are you thinking, right? But we just all have this things where, thing where we just want to jump in and save the day, and be the hero, and be the savior. Now, our passage in scripture is going to speak to that this morning, so let's take a look at it. I want everybody to grab a Bible, whether you bring your own with you, or you use a Bible app, or use our Bibles here. Just want you looking at God's word this morning. If you're using the Bible here, I know many of you do, we're going to be on page 723. Uh, We are in week two of a series called In the Beginning Was the Word on the book of John, in the first two chapters of John. Uh, Pastor Matt started us out last week looking at the eternal son of God, and Today, we're going to look at a new person who's kind of coming to the scene. We saw him a little bit last week, but look to the scene, and that is John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is this amazing figure in the scriptures who's actually different from John the disciple who wrote the book of John, but we're going to study who John the Baptist, a little bit about who he is of this morning. So let's take a look. So you find the big number one, that's the chapter, small number 19, and you will be in the right place. Okay, here's what it says. It says, now this was John's testimony. So that's John the Baptist. This was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer <clears throat> excuse me, to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling out in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, why then do you baptize if you're not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. So Jesus is presumably in the crowd here. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan, that's the Jordan River, where John was baptizing. Okay, so we get John the Baptist, 
who's this very unique guy in Scripture. Uh, elsewhere in the Bible, we're told that he wears clothes made of camel's hair. Uh, his diet consists of like locusts and honey. And he preaches this super intense, fiery message on repentance and sin. And yet the crowds are just flocking to him. So much so that the Jewish leaders from Jerusalem send representatives and they ask, John, who are you? Tell us who you are. And they ask, are you Elijah? And he says, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not Elijah. Now, Elijah was this really important prophet from the Old Testament. In fact, we did a series, summer series, a couple of years ago on the life of Elijah. And one of the things that is probably most famous about Elijah is that Elijah is one of only two people in the Bible who never died. And so Jews had this belief that Elijah was going to come back someday before the Lord. And that's in part because the last prophet chronologically and in the scriptures, um, in the Old Testament was Malachi. And Malachi prophesied that before the Lord returns, Elijah will come and he will turn the hearts of people. But John the Baptist says, nope, I'm not Elijah. Which, if you study the Gospels, the four books about Jesus, is actually a little bit confusing because Jesus, later in Matthew 11, or earlier in Matthew 11, he says that John the Baptist is, in fact, is this Elijah that was supposed to come. So what is that? What is that discrepancy? You know, most scholars say that they're asking John the Baptist, who are you literally? And he's saying, I'm John the Baptist, like in the flesh. I'm not actually Elijah, right? And it's quite possible that the real Elijah will return someday before Malachi actually calls it the dreadful day of the Lord, which is the end times. In fact, Revelation chapter 11, if you want to read it, points to that possibility. But Jesus, on the other hand, is merely saying that John the Baptist is that type of Elijah that is preparing the way before the Lord comes. So he says, I'm not Elijah. And then they ask him, are you the prophet? Well, what is that? The prophet. We don't, we don't talk about this a lot in Christianity, but it comes from this kind of obscure passage in Deuteronomy chapter 18, which is where the Lord is speaking through Moses. And he says this. So let's look at verse 15 from Deuteronomy 18. It says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, so like Moses, from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. Now, if you read the whole chapter, the context suggests that he's just talking about another prophet will come or more prophets will come to lead Israel in the future. But what happened over time is the Jews started to believe there would be this special person who they just simply called the prophet who would come from their own people and rise up and lead them. So they're asking John, are you the prophet? And he says, no, I'm not. And in many ways, Jesus fulfills even that prophecy. But John the Baptist makes extra sure, in fact, he denies it twice, that he is the Messiah, because he's not the Messiah. And he says, I am not the Messiah. Now, the Messiah is the anointed one. It means savior. In fact, Messiah is a Hebrew word. And if you translate it into Greek, it is Christ. So Messiah and Christ are actually the same word. So instead of saying Jesus Christ, you could say Jesus Messiah, and it would be the same thing. But if you look at verse 20, there's where John's sort of like doubly denying it, and he utters these very important words, just five words, but very important. In fact, they're on the screen. I want you to even say it with me this morning. Okay, ready? I am not the Messiah. What oh, didn't that feel good? I am not the Messiah. And you could even say, I am not the Savior. Now, I don't actually think that anyone in this room intellectually thinks of themselves like, I'm actually the, the Christ, the Savior of the world. If you do, that's okay. Uh, I don't think that you do, right? But many of us practically live like we're the Savior. You know what I mean? Like, I'm talking about like when something goes wrong in your life, maybe even basic, something goes wrong, 
And who do you think can fix it? Right? A lot of us go, who has two thumbs? <laughs> this guy, I can, right? Or somebody's life is getting messed up. Who knows how to get their life back together again? We do, right? We're the savior. In fact, what I want to do is I kind of want to focus on two sort of broad categories where all of us tend to kind of be tempted to get a little bit of a Messiah complex and play the role of savior. So here's the first one. Number one, <clears throat> ways that we kind of play Messiah. The first way is when we look at other people and we say, I can save you. Your life is messy. I can make it right. Let me, let me give you some practical examples so you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like for those of you with kids, what is the first thing that you do when your kids really start making bad choices, especially if you've got older ones and you know they're starting to maybe even drift from the Lord? What do you do first? Let's start thinking about this. Or, or what do you do if your friend's marriage is falling apart? How do you enter into that? Or, or what if your sibling starts getting addicted to prescription drugs? Well, like, what do you do when the people around you and their lives start to get messy? <clears throat> now, I would say that some of us struggle with this more than others, right? There are plenty of you in this room that fear conflict like it's the bubonic plague. And you want absolutely nothing to do with anybody else's mess, right? And that's a different message. And you can stay after for that one. I'm just kidding. Uh, but there are plenty of us that when we see a mess, we love to jump in. Okay? And that can be good. But if you're going to jump in, you have got to be clear about who the real Savior is. About who the Messiah is. Like, who is it that can get your friend out of that new friend group they got in that's just messing up their life? Who can actually restore a relationship? Who has the power to do that? Jesus has the power to do this. Say it with me. Some of you need to say it extra loud. I am not the Messiah, the Savior. Again, now that can feel almost like a Sunday school-like answer, but for a lot of us, this is a simple concept, but it's one that's not simple to live out. And you can sort of tell if we're living it out or not based upon our actions, right? Like, okay, think through real situations. If you have a friend that's starting to struggle with depression, what do you do? do? Is the first thing you do to get on your knees and say, God, just give me the words, would you just move in their hearts? Or are you just over there right away giving you a list of things they need to do? Right? If, if your sibling is just going through an absolutely terrible breakup that's just wrecking, wrecking them, is the first thing that you think of, like, I gotta just share God's word with them right now? Or do you go right to your own ideas? Who's the savior that has the power to fix the situation? And I think the reason we fall into acting like we're the ones that have the power to change everything is we're not rightly remembering who we are in relationship to God. This is so important biblically. And John the Baptist really is a great example here. Because, listen, if anybody has the right to be prideful, it's probably John the Baptist. Like, think about it. Was your birth announced by an angel? But his was, Luke chapter 1. Right? Did, did people prophesy about you hundreds of years in advance? Well, they did about John, right? You have just thousands of people coming to hear you by the river. I mean, think about this. People liked John so much that they literally came up to him and said, hey, I'm just wondering, like, is it possible that maybe you're the Savior sent by God? Like, can you imagine if people said that to you? You tell me you wouldn't get prideful over that, Right? You'd be like, you going home to your spouse, like, people think I'm the Savior. I don't know what your problem is, right? But John the Baptist doesn't get prideful. Why? 
because he is so deeply aware of the massive gulf between him and Jesus Messiah. Are you aware of that? Let me ask you the same question they asked John. It's in verse 22. They just simply say, who are you? Who are you? And they say, what do you have to say about yourself? How would you answer that question? John answers it by quoting the words of Isaiah the prophet. And he says, I am the voice of the one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. See, John's identity isn't in who he is, but in pointing people to who Jesus is. And this idea when he says, I'm just here to make straight the way, that's akin to ancient times when the king would come to town. What they would do is they would literally get the road already, sometimes even straighten it out for the king to come. That's what John feels his role is. I'm just there to get the road ready for King Jesus. And here's the thing. When they would do that and the king was coming to town, nobody remembers the name of the guy who says, the king is coming. And they certainly don't remember the name of the guy who got the road ready. But that's okay. Because they're not the king, and neither are we. I am not the Messiah. You know, two chapters later, they question John the Baptist again about who he is. And he very famously responds by saying this. John chapter 3, verse 30. He says, he, he's talking about Jesus. He must become greater. I must become less. Now, let me ask you. When conflict arises around you. So I'm talking about your family members having a really hard time, your friends having a really hard time. When that happens, is this your heartbeat? Is this where your heart goes first? Right? Because we should think, okay, my friend's life is just spiraling out of control right now. So right now, this is how we got to teach ourselves biblically. Right now, more than ever, I cannot go into hero mode. I can't go into savior mode. I need to think like John the Baptist. For my friend's sake, I need to point to the Messiah. I need to rely on the Messiah. I am not the Messiah. He must become greater. I must become less. Is that your heartbeat? Now, for some of us, that first part of saying, I can save you, that's our issue. For plenty of others of us, I might even say the majority of us, our bigger issue is the second issue. Let's take a look at issue number two. Two ways that we play the Messiah. One, we look at other people and say, I can save you. And the second is when we struggle, we say, I can save myself. Now, if you're like me, I actually struggle with both issues, but I'm sure you just have one, okay? So here's a question with the second one. When it's your life that gets hard or gets messy or gets difficult, how do you respond? Again, we're humans, so we're all kind of different, right? But for many of us, when life gets hard, we just jump right into Messiah mode. We say, okay, it's not working right now, but I can, oh, I'll just work harder. I'll just fix it, all right? Or some of you are are still in school, and let's say you get a bad grade, and you just go, you know what? I can't get a bad grade, so I'll just, I'm just going to go talk to that professor, and I'll make them give me a a different grade, right? Or your relationship's falling apart. You're like, I'm just going to, I'll just work harder. I'll just, I'll just, I, I can, I can, I can, right? That's what we do. And a big part of why we think like this as Americans is because we don't understand who we are and what our power is in relationship to God. And again, the word of God is really helpful here because John the Baptist is really helpful for us. In fact, look at verse 27. Again, I want you to see this. John says this really interesting phrase. He says that he's not even worthy to untie the straps of the real Messiah's sandals. What is that? I remember reading the Bible the very first time and going, huh? 
What does that mean? So let's just talk through this. So see, the rabbis of Jesus' day had this thing where they taught that a rabbi could ask his disciples to do basically anything except untie his sandals, because that's just no, okay? Now, you got to think about their culture and their environment, right? They are not walking on nice sidewalks like you are in Blaine, Minnesota, okay? They're walking in muddy, dirty paths mixed with garbage and who knows what, and they're not walking in their nice, you know, Nike kicks or whatever. They're walking in sandals, right? They don't shower. Some of you don't even like feet when they're clean, okay? And so a rabbi could ask people to do anything except untie his sandals, unless you were like rich or powerful, then what you would do, you would actually would have the lowest servant in your house. That would be their job. But here is the great John the Baptist, and he's saying, I'm not even worthy to be the lowest of servants in Jesus's house. That's, that's who I am. That's how great the real Messiah is. Here's a challenge. If we're going to think biblically as American Christians, I don't think that we understand this whole thing very well in America. In fact, I think so much of our pain comes from the fact that we have been taught that we're not here, we are here. In fact, I firmly believe that one of the main reasons, now there are plenty of reasons, so don't, don't hear me incorrectly, but one of the main reasons we have a lot of us that are struggling in America with anxiety and with depression is because of the dissonance, the incongruence we feel between what we've been told about ourselves and what we actually experience of ourselves. Let me, let me explain here what I mean. I wanna spend uh, the next few minutes here just talking through a chart that we made. It's just gonna go through the ramifications of thinking about yourself like the culture tells you to think about yourself and thinking about yourself like the Bible tells you to think about yourself. <clears throat> Excuse me. Okay, so let, let's go to the first row. So we're talking about what you can do. Now, when it comes to what we think we can do, the culture tells us essentially that you can do anything you set your mind to. Now, many of you heard that exact phrase growing up, right, from your parents from your teachers, from like every single Saturday morning cartoon, like through the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, this was like the moral of basically every TV sitcom that had a kid in it, right? Every Disney movie, you're told that you are special, you are unique, and if you just work really hard, you can make your dreams come true. America, right? I feel like American culture actually almost like breeds the Messiah complex into us. And we're just told all of the time, you are special, you are amazing, you are beautiful, you are powerful, you can do anything. Oh, that sounds really nice, doesn't it? But it's not actually what the Bible says. So what does the Bible say? Let's take a look at this. John chapter 15, Jesus says that he is the vine, and you are the branches, and apart from him, you can do nothing. Flip the Bible forward two books to get to the book of Romans, and you read that you were born in sin. And apart from God, the only thing that you can do is sin. And we hear that and we go, well, that sounds morbid and kind of negative. I just, you know, you know what I really, I like 
I'm beautiful and special, and I'm unstoppable, unshakable force, right? It just sounds so much better. By the way, this is why I think we let so much secular philosophy even drip into the church because we go, oh, that sounds really good. We like that. Let's keep some of that. Not this your sin stuff. But we've got we've to think more deeply as Christ followers. And so what we can do here is we can begin to just play this out. And that's what that chart is going to accomplish in a second here. So what happens, it all sounds really nice, but what happens when difficulty comes, when hardship comes? What happens when you don't actually get into the college you wanted to get to, into, right? Or what happens when you get dumped? Or what happens when you get fired? Or you get betrayed? Or what happens if you just can't even live up to the standard of other Americans that you want to live up to? And every day you're feeling like, I just feel like a terrible mom. Or you feel like, I've been trying to advance in my career for like 15 years. It's going nowhere. I just, I'm working, I'm working. Okay, so what happens when difficulty comes? This is row two. So if we're walking through cultural thinking, if my belief is cultural, and I believe that I can accomplish anything, I can fix anything, I can do anything, if I just, by the way, what is that? That's just the Messiah complex, right? That's saying, I'm the Messiah. But if I believe that I can do anything, when difficulty comes, what's my reaction going to be? I'm going to go, oh, no. I can't do it. So then I'm going to say, what's wrong? What's wrong with me? Because I was told I could do it. So what's wrong with me? See, that's the dissonance. That's the confusion. But what does it look like for the Christ follower? For the Christian, when life gets hard, rather than us trying to put on our Messiah hat and kind of like fix everything, right? we say, I can't do it. And this is where I say, I need God. I need God. By the way, this is why the amount that you pray is probably the best indicator that I can give you of how much you actually do think of yourself as the Messiah or not. Because if you never pray or you very seldomly pray, honestly, subconsciously, it's probably because you think that you are the Savior that you need in your situation. And so what comes next is we sort of carry these ramifications further, right? What's the next action step end up being. Row number three, if I think I can do anything, right, but then life gets difficult, after this kind of confusing period of what's wrong with me, literally for many people, the only thing that they know how to do next is to just go, I don't know what else to do besides just kind of pull myself up from my bootstraps, right, and just work harder, right? They're, they're in a conversation with their spouse, and the spouse says, I'm thinking about leaving you. For many people, they don't know what to do besides to say, I'll just, I'll just, I'll fix it. I'll be the best husband ever. I'll just, I, I will be the best wife. Or they're about to lose their job and they say, I'll just, no, I'll work harder than ever. I will, I'll work. I know I can make things right. But what happens when you can't? What happens when you can't? And this is where I think biblical thinking provides us a different way. Because biblical thinking says this, after you fall to your knees and you say, God, I can't do this. I just can't. I need you. Your next step in progressing as a Christian is to learn to rely not on your power, but on God's power. And to rely on God's plan. That you would stop going, I'll fix this. I'll just work hard. And you say, God, I believe you. My relationship is falling apart, but I believe you can do something about it. God, I need you. I need you to move. I need you to heal. God, I don't even have a job. God, I want you to find me a job. Help me find me a, help find me a job. But at the same time, you're saying, but I still trust in your plan. 
I trust in your power, and I trust in you. I trust you no matter what, because I am not the Messiah, and I don't have to be. That feels good. Now watch the difference here, because this is what we're getting to in the resulting emotions. Because how you think affects how you live, and it affects how you feel. Okay, so let's go to the fourth row. If I believe that I can do anything, and I'm the captain of my soul, I can kind of shape my destiny, but then I realize that life is hard. And I try, try, and try, and things don't change. In fact, when I try even harder, I just seem to make a bigger mess of it. What are the resulting emotions I feel? Well, firstly, one of the first emotions I feel is shame. Why? Because I'm not measuring up. Everybody told me all from my Saturday morning cartoons to all through my college degree, they told me that if I worked hard, it would work. Well, I'm working hard, and it's not working. So I feel embarrassed. I feel shame. And then what happens is over time, you experience that enough, you be, actually begin to feel anxiety because you kind of know deep down that, well, if I go out and I try again, it's probably not going to work because I've tried before and it didn't work. And a little longer, you actually start to feel depression because you say, I've been trying and I kind of know it's not going to work and it seems to be working for everybody else out there. So what's the point? I can't do it. And you kind of come to the end of yourself. And if you don't have God, then where do you go from there? But this is where biblical thinking is so amazing. This is especially in how godly thinking even positively affects your mental health. Here's the deal. When I realize that I am not the Messiah, and that I am not in charge of my life, and I don't have all the power, and I'm not completely in control, but Jesus is, and Jesus fights for me. And Jesus has the power to change my situation. And he is wise. And he is good. And he is the rightful Messiah. Then I have peace because he's on the throne. And then I have trust because he's good. And then I have hope for my future. But listen, all of this to get there, it all starts with five of the most freeing words that you could ever say. I am not the Messiah. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that for all of us in the room that you would help us think like your scriptures tell us to think. I pray over the people of this room that you would help me and them find freedom this week from trying to be the savior for someone else, for us, and that we would just let you be the savior. You are better at it than we are, God. And may we just openly say that I am not the Messiah. But we thank you, Jesus, that you are. In your name we pray. Amen.